This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we first have a visit with, well, several people, a few of them real. There'll be a few dummies involved, too, Mortimer Snurd being one of them. Yep, we have a visit from Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy, and Mortimer Snurd. Now, they'll be here in just a few moments. First, a quick peek back at the career of the creator of these two wild characters. Edgar Bergen's first performances were in vaudeville. He worked in one-reel movie shorts, but his real success was on the radio. He and Charlie were seen at a New York party by Elsa Maxwell who was thrown for uh, Noel Coward, who recommended them for an engagement at the famous Rainbow Room. It was there that two producers saw Bergen and Charlie perform. They then recommended them for a guest appearance on Rudy Valley's program. Their initial appearance, December 17th of 1936, was so successful that the following year they were given regular cast roles as part of the Chase and Sanborn Hour. Under various sponsors and two different networks, they were on the air from May 19, 1937 to July 1st of 1956. The popularity of a ventriloquist on radio, when one could see neither the dummies nor his skill, surprised and puzzled many critics then and even now. Even knowing that Bergen provided the voice, listeners thought Charlie was a real person. And Bergen had the ability to switch from his voice to that of Charlie's seemingly without taking a breath. His delivery was impeccable, both for himself and as well for the characters with whom he was in conversation. The year this episode was broadcast was 1951, notable because their special guest was Frankie Lane, who that year began recording for Columbia Records, where he immediately scored a double-sided hit with the single Jezebel and on the flip side, Rose, Rose, I Love You. So... It's on with the show. It's Sunday night, and time again for Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy. Mortimer Snurd and Ray Noble and his orchestra. Tonight, our special guest is the style-setting recording star, the unique Frankie Lane. And now, Edgar Bergen with Charlie McCarthy. Attention, folks, it's time for Charlie McCarthy. Here I come, ready or not. Last one to tune in is the you-know-what. <laughs> Look here, I, I fail, boy. Would you mind dropping your voice down to just a shout? Oh, what's wrong, Ray? You look like a medical student's homework. <laughs> well, of 
frankly, Charles, I'm just not myself today. Well, let me be the first to congratulate you. <laughs> no, it's my nerve, though, boy. They're jumpy. Mm. Uh, all week long, I've been making recordings for the orchestra. Oh, well, why should that make you jumpy? We have to listen to them. <laughs> well, I, I, I felt all right up to that last recording, you know. <laughs> what was your last recording? Well, it, it was a new arrangement, Charlie, of... Uh, time on my hands on the front side. Uh-huh. And don't spank the baby on the back side. Now, that one should be a howling success. I <laughs> but, but, you know, I think the trouble is being shut up in those horribly small recording studios. Oh, it's that. Oh, yes. I think I must have claustrophobia. I've never heard of that. Much of it going around, maybe? <laughs> oh, it's a fear of closed places. Oh, yes, yes, of course. Well, there are many such phobias. You know, some people have a fear of high places. What do they call that? Hydrophobia? <laughs> well, but Charlie, haven't you ever known anyone who was high strung? Well, yes, I have, eh? I have. As a matter of fact, I had an uncle once who was always, uh, always in need of a sedative. Really? With an olive in it. <laughs> Good old Uncle Egbert. Fried Egbert, we used to call him. Now, look here, Charles. This isn't helping me quiet my nerves, you know. Well, now, wait a minute now. You just gave me an idea. Well, what? I'm going to borrow your nervous condition and get out of going to school tomorrow. Well, you better be careful, Charles. Well, here comes Edgar now. Hello, boys. Hello, hello, Charlie. Now, don't sneak up on me like that, Birkin. Please. What's the matter? What's the matter with you, anyway? Well, I'm a mess. I'm just a bundle of nerves. Twitching nerves, is that so? Oh, they just twitch all the time. Yeah. Just twitching, yeah. <laughs> there I go, see? Yeah. Well, that's nothing so much to be alarmed about. Charlie, I can help you. I know all about nerves. Oh, you do? Yes. I was afraid of that. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, I studied to be a doctor in college. Sometimes I'm sorry I gave up medicine. Yeah, but think of all the lives you saved by doing it. The main function of these nerves is to carry messages to the brain. Oh, it is? Yes. Now, what happens when you pick up something hot, Charlie? Huh? I see what happens when you pick up something hot. Well, usually I call the fence and see what he'll give me for it. <laughs> you immediately withdraw your hand. Oh, that, yeah. yeah. That's because the messages to the brain travel at over a hundred feet a second in a man's body. Yeah? Yes. In a woman, it has to go a little slower on account of the curves. <laughs> you see, the nerves in the brain work together. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? For example, I say to myself, I want to move my arm. And lo and behold, my arm, it moved. Oh, it did, didn't it? <laughs> oh, you are clever. Do you tie your own shoelaces, too? Oh. What do you suppose is the matter with you, Charlie? Well, base yourself, Bergen, but I got a bad case of undulating, overlapping, homogenized claustrophobia. <laughs> claustrophobia? Yeah, that's what I got. When did it start? In school. Oh, I see. Yes, for years, the eighth graders have been closing in on me. <laughs> Looks like I'm a lifer. Yeah, I see, yeah. <laughs> well, if school gives you claustrophobia that badly... And it do, it do. Something, of course, will have to be done about it. Then you're going to spring me? Well, I... I uh... Oh, Bergen, may I kiss the hem of your stylish stout jacket? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you suggest might help you? I think I need a change, Bergen. Yes. A complete new outlook. Say, in the form of a... Oh, a good movie. A good movie? Yeah. The darkness, the quiet, the peace would calm my nerves. Yes. 
What picture did you have in mind? Well, I tell you, it's called The Waltzing Corpse Meets Frankenstein's Other Wife. <laughs> movie theaters are closed in crowded places. If you have claustrophobia, I'm afraid you never can go to the movies again. Uh-oh. You know something, Bergen? What? It's a pity you gave up medicine. You would have made a great surgeon. What made you think so, Charlie? In one simple operation, you amputated my claustrophobia, cut out my hooky playing, and cooked my goose. <laughs> as modern as tomorrow, brings us his own instrumentation of today's Domino. if you'd get here tonight. Oh, I might. It's early yet, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, hum, 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 hum. Well, you look sleepy. Yeah, I am. I am sleepy. How come? Hmm? How come you're sleepy? Well, I can't sleep at night. Oh, yeah. I'm beginning to think that sleep don't agree with me. <laughs> well, Mortimer, oh, now, please, not you, too. Charlie with claustrophobia, and now you with insomnia? Insomnia, nothing. My trouble is I can't sleep. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, do you have any idea what's keeping you awake, Mortimer? No, uh, I think it's my nightmares. Your nightmares? Yeah, I see. How can you have nightmares when you can't sleep? Well, <laughs> it ain't easy. No, I don't know. <laughs> have you tried? Have you tried sleeping powder? Yeah, I sprinkled it all over the bed, but it didn't do no good. 
When do, when do you find it the hardest to go to sleep? When I'm awake. When you're awake. <laughs> I'm trying to help you. Now listen. When people can't sleep, they count sheep. No. Yeah. <laughs> when sheep can't sleep, do they count people? No. Do you try counting sleep, uh, sheep? <laughs> now please don't confuse me, okay? I'm having enough trouble right as it is. <laughs> what was your question, please? I say, do you try counting sheep? Uh, I tried it once. Uh, uh, didn't do no good, though, I see. See, they was black sheep. Black sheep. Yeah. I couldn't see them in the dark. Well, now, I wonder what could be causing your insomnia. Do you sleep with your window open? No, with my mouth open. With your mouth open. Well, you better do something about it. I'll tell you, the circles under your eyes are so big that... It looks like your nose is riding a bicycle. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the circles. Yes, yes. The nose. Yeah, and your nose. Riding a bicycle, yeah. Well, you see, Marty, but that was a joke. Oh, a joke. Yes, yeah, well. Well, well, that's the way it goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's get back to your insomnia. Now, something must be keeping you awake. Yo. Yeah. Maybe it's them awful things I've been seeing in the dark. Oh, now we're getting to it. You're afraid of the dark. Well, yeah, sometimes. You see, I get so scared, I, I pull the pillow over my head. Well, I should think you'd suffocate. No, no. I do get way behind in my breathing, though. Yeah. Over your head, too. Yeah, I do that. I pull the covers over, yeah, but it puts my feet in an awful ticklish position. <laughs> yes, well, now, at least with a blanket over your head, you, you can't see those awful things. Oh, yes, I can. You still see them? Yeah. How come? Well, you see, I, <laughs> I cut a people in a blanket. Oh, I. <laughs> Mortimer, this entire thing is ridiculous. The only stupid people are afraid of the dark. Well, there's your answer. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't see these things if you could fall asleep. Oh, sure. Now, there must be some reason why you can't sleep at night. Now, why can't you sleep at night? Well, let's see. Can't think of it offhand. Not unless it's those naps I've been taking all day. Ah, uh, there you are. What is it that makes you such a dunce? I don't know. I really don't know. But whatever it is, it sure works, don't it? Yeah, <laughs> a great while, an entertainment personality comes along who truly deserves the much-abused term, song stylist. Such a one is our guest of the evening, Frankie Lane. Tonight he gives his modern sound to Wonderful, wasn't it? Mr. Lane. Wonderful words in it Every is in it Holding you close to me Kissing you tenderly 
whispering soft and low, darling, I love you so, so no one else can hear. To make it more divine, you kissed me, said your mind, wonderful, wasn't it, dear? Wonderful, wasn't it? Heavenly, isn't it? Holding you so close to me. Jukebox, that record of yours will get my dime. Well, Charlie, if I know you, it'll be a slug. Uh, oh, a comical one here. <laughs> we'll have to keep this dialogue short, and Frank, we'll eliminate it. That's right. Well, Charlie, uh, really now, I don't want to get laughed. Oh, good. I just want to sing songs. Like my new one. Uh, what's that? Well, it's called I Had to Have All My Clothes Altered Since I've Got You Under My Skin. <laughs> I don't like him. <laughs> He didn't want to get laughed. Well, you know something he didn't, really. <laughs> Hello, Frankie. Hello, Edgar. Say, it's nice having you in Hollywood, Frankie. Thank you. You know, I'd like to give you a little dinner party. Oh? There's so many people out here that would like to meet you. Well, thank you, Edgar. Nothing. Nothing's really wonderful. Is it going to be anything like that uh, last dinner party you gave? Yeah, I'm afraid so, but be a good sport and come anyway. No, really. <laughs> okay, I will. See you later, boys. Fine, fine. Charlie, when in the world did you make that remark for? Huh? I'm going all out on this dinner party. You are? Yes. It's deductible? No, no, no. <laughs> no, the Beverly Hills Catering Service will handle the entire affair. They charge $25 a plate. Bergie, if I can get that Beverly Hills Catering Service to cut the price, will you give me half? Well, well yes, if you can, sure. You think you can do it? <laughs> Either Beverly cuts her price or she heads for the hills. All right. Hiya, bud. Let's have a little service here, huh? huh, 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 huh? Oh, delightful. Yeah. A toothpick, the top. <laughs> Mister, when you say that, smile. Why? So I can get a good shot at your front teeth. <laughs> well, now that we've nauseated each other, you wish to give a dinner party? True. Uh, what type of menu did you have in mind? Uh, something inexpensive, like uh, seagull a la king, <laughs> breast of spam, <laughs> or uh, possibly jellied gopher tails. <laughs> served in a trap, of course. <laughs> this is not going to be one of my good afternoons. Perhaps it'll help me if you'll tell me for whom this dinner party is. Frankie Lane. Well, do you think Mr. Lane would like partridge? Is he a hunter? Uh, I don't know. But about a year ago, he sure killed a wild goose, didn't he? 
You're not laughing. And that's the way it's going to be. Our partridges, you yes. see, they are raised on our private farm where they are hand-fed only the finest imported grain. How nice. And then you shoot them. How vulgar. Then oh. we place them in a vat of warm wine and allow them to hiccup themselves to death. <laughs> what a lovely way to go. <laughs> well, the entire affair will be exquisite, you know. Oh. Our waitresses are the most beautiful girls in Hollywood. Uh-huh. Now, how should we start the dinner? Uh, late. Oh. I'll be in the kitchen with the waitresses. <laughs> and now, my obnoxious little friend, yeah. we can save some time if you'll tell me what you wish to spend for each guest. Well, what could I give her about 80 cents apiece? Uh... Young man, yeah. for 80 cents apiece, one of our men will pass among you with a stale salami and let each guest whip one here. <laughs> Party catered cheap, buddy. Oh, cheap. Yeah. Well, from what I judge your friends to be, may I suggest the Lower Glendale Dog Catering Service? You know, that's not a bad idea. With plenty of ketchup on it, they'll never know. <laughs> Say, Charles, you don't mean to tell me you've actually hired a dog catering service to cater the party for Frankie Lane? That I have, eh? Thirty cents a man and all the flea powder they can use. <laughs> How do you do, Mr. McCarthy? I'm Kirkwood of the Lower Glendale Dog Catering Service. How do you do? This is Ray Noble. My, he's a woolly one, isn't he? <laughs> Who taught him to stand up and beg? <laughs> really, I must have this moustache clip. <laughs> Uh, Kirk, is your dog food, is it fit for human consumption? Oh, yes. Why, I often eat it myself. Oh, good, good. Then it doesn't affect you? Not at all. Of course, every once in a while I find myself chasing a cat up a tree. <laughs> but uh, now, who's going to be the host of this party, a Pekingese or a Pomeranian? Well, the fellow who's walking in over there now, Bergen. Oh, a Mexican hairless. <laughs> Uh, Bergen, this is Mr. Kirkwood. He's going to cater your party. Oh, I see. Well, tell me, Mr. Kirkwood, do you have many customers in the better part of Hollywood? Oh, yes, indeed. My food is eaten by some of the biggest movie stars. For instance, there's Lassie and... Uh... Who, who did you say? Uh, Massey, you know, Raymond Massey. Oh, yes. <laughs> you see, this is a very important party, and I want things done right. Confidentially, I, I want to put on the dog. <laughs> You're not the right man, buddy. Yeah. Uh... The dinner, of course, will be formal. They'll wear tails. Well, most of them do. Now we'll need place cards. They'll have to know where they're going to sit. Well, why don't you just let them lie around the floor? Now, please, if you don't mind, let's save the clowning. Now, do you get your meat from Kansas City? No, Santa Anita. Santa Anita. Yeah, it's top quality. Uh, silly or silly. <laughs> Give each one a memento. Now, what would they do with a memento? They can 
stuff it in an olive. <laughs> That's pimento. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, um, I... I'd... More practical gift, like, uh, uh, say, a rubber bowl. A rubber bowl, yeah. Or one of those new feeding bowls that keeps their ears out of the milk. <laughs> ears out of the milk. Just a moment. This couldn't be a dog service, could it? Oh, couldn't it? Uh, let's not fight it, Bergen. It's cheaper than both of them. <laughs> so to save money, you are ready to feed our guest Frankie Lane dog food, <laughs> horse meat. Yeah. Well, I, I... Were you jolly? Well, I, I, I... I... Bergie? What are you going to do? I'm taking off my belt. Charlie, bend over. No, 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 I... 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 You train! You...
And now a high spot musically as Frankie Lane returns to sing of his lady unfair, the bewitching Jezebel. If ever the devil was born without a pair of horns, it was you. Jezebel, it was you. If ever an angel fell, Jezebel, it was you. Jezebel, it was you. If ever a pair of eyes promised paradise, deceiving me, deceiving me, leaving me blue, Jezebel, it was you. If ever the devil's plan was made to torment man, it was you, Jezebel, it was you. Would be better had I never known a lover such as you. For sacred dreams and all, for the siren call of your arms. Like a demon, love possessed me. Obsessed me constantly What evil mind That my fate design Should be Jezebel If ever a pair of eyes Promised paradise Frankie, come back and see us real soon. Good night, everyone. Stay tuned for Escape next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Escape, and the episode first aired in 1953, entitled The Derelict. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of Romantic adventure. Want to get away from it all? We offer you... Escape. Escape. Transcribed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are aboard a dead ship, 
drifting aimlessly in the endless reaches of the Indian Ocean, while the three men who are your companions, unaware of your innermost thoughts, are making their own plans for the division of treasure, which, because you are a woman, can mean life or death for you all. Listen now as Escape brings you Larry Roman's unusual story, The Derelict. I'm rich now. Good-looking, too. A lot of guys have said so. 29, and that's on the square. Dark eyes, dark hair, and I've been a dancer all my life, so you can figure out for yourself how I'm built. I'm not telling you this out of conceit or anything. I just want you to know what you'd have if you had me. And you can have me, any one of you. All you gotta do is come out and get me. A couple of weeks ago, I climbed aboard the freighter Capricorn out of Singapore for Suez with a load of porcelain and six passengers. I had a job waiting for me in Cairo, but I took a ship instead of a plane. One, for the dough. Two, because I was in no hurry to start working. The honest truth was my feet were giving me fits. Four days out in the Indian Ocean, a monsoon started up and the Capricorn just busted to pieces on the reefs. I don't know how long I floated around hanging onto some wood till they hauled me into a lifeboat. All right now, easy with her. Uh, gently, gently. Do not bruise her on the side. There we go. <laughs> Clear off that canvas, Nouah. Set you down. I, I'm all right. Certainly. Yeah. Here. Throw this jacket round you. I'm okay. No kidding. The jacket. <laughs> Thanks. And clamp your legs under the seat. Everyone all right? Everything all right here, Mr. Mike. Okay. We're just going to have to ride her out. You all right? Sure. You're not sick anymore? All done. Kind of silly, wasn't it? Like a kid. No, not so silly. Uh, may I uh, do something for you, my dear? No, thanks. I'm really okay. Uh, Keatman. Henry Van Keatman's my name. It was my cargo of porcelain on the ship. I'm uh, Mark Bowman. Cora Moore. Hello. Uh, this is Lou Waugh, or is it Waugh Lou? My name is Lou Waugh. Uh, Chinese, part of the crew. Well, some predicaments, huh? Others all drown, I suppose. Or adrift, like us? No drown, I think. We were the lucky ones. Some are, some aren't. Well, spirits up, everybody. Look, we have water for a few days, so that is fine. Sure. Well, people do not get lost at sea these days, not with airplanes and so much ocean travel. All right. 
We'll set up watches and take turns trying to catch fish. Yes, sir. Who can think of food now? There's always later. You take the first watch, Keatman. Lou and I will take... Are you setting yourself up as captain, Mike? I hadn't thought of it that way. I want to be captain. I've always wanted to run a ship. Well, I don't care who's captain, but someone's got to watch and someone's got to fish. Very well. We all got jobs to do. Lawu, you fish. Mike will watch. I shall tend to the water, portion out the proper amounts and quarter, my dear. You shall sit there and, and be womanly. The water sits in the middle so everyone can see it. Cora helps out like everyone else. Well, sure, Mike. Just tell me what you want. Settle, Mr. Keatman. Settle, Captain Borman. I got a long look at them. Keatman, big around the middle and chest. White, shiny face, powerful arms. Mike, middle size, not bad looking, with clear blue eyes. Kind of girl ought to have. Lua, small, good at catching fish. So there we were, three men and me in a tub, bobbing around the Indian Ocean, drifting. Then on the afternoon of the second day... Oh, look at Look at You see, you see! Uh, a ship! Coming right for us, Mike. Look at it. I told you, I told you it would be found. Hello! Hello! Save your breath. It's miles old. Oh, we rode to it. The oars. Walu, the oars. Mike, the oars. Quickly, now, come on. It was dusk by the time we got aboard. She was a three-masted sailing ship. All her lifeboats were gone and junk was all over her deck. Seaweed and ocean stuff, so you knew she'd been under once. An old barkentine, Mike said. A ghost ship. Her deck cabins were caved in and she stank from rot. We looked her over. Then down in the captain's quarters we saw it. First, a couple of human skeletons in a pile of junk that was once closed. Then a metal box, near the skeletons, open. And in it were bricks of greenish-yellow stuff. Mike knew right off what it was. Gold. Gold? Impossible, it cannot be. That's gold, all right. I've seen gold before. Well, sure it is. God, God, it is. Feel it. Hold on. Twenty, thirty pounds of brick. Why, that's a fortune. No kidding? How much? I don't know, but a fortune easily a great amount. Easily. Shut the box, Keatman. The, the salvage laws, it's ours. If we bring it in. We will. We've got another problem, but first. I tell you, you do not get lost at sea these days. This is 1953. You do not get lost at sea in 1953. No. Shut the box. It won't swim off. What? Shut it. Who are you to tell me what to oh, do? Oh, stop it, you two. Squabble, squabble like a couple of chorus girls. Oh, sorry. I apologize. All right. Now let's check the galley. We ought to figure out a way to start a fire. Oh, what about the, the skeletons? Or what about them? Well, you should get them overboard. I do not like to share the ship with them. You do what you want. You, you throw them overboard, Mike, if you don't mind. I wouldn't care to touch them. Other things come first. Uh, that is right. And, and, and before we do anything, don't you think we should have an understanding? About what? The gold. What's there to understand? There are four of us. We bring it in, it's split four ways. Four ways, yeah. Then I have a right. Now you go to the galley, Mike. 
I will stay here. I want to count the gold. All right. Come on, Corey. No, I'll stay down here if you don't mind. I'd like to know how much there is, too. Honest to Pete, I don't know why I said it. I wasn't thinking it. It just came out. Well, it rained that night, and we collected a lot of clean, fresh water. Next day, it was real sunny and warm. We cleaned the ship up a bit. All of a sudden, I got to feeling how funny things were. Adrift at sea on a ghost ship. But we had food, water, sun. At times, it was almost like a pleasure cruise. Good morning. Morning. Sleep well? Not too good. Of course, the place you fixed up for me was real nice, but... Well, I kept thinking about things. Cora Moore from San Diego with a jackpot. You know, you don't seem too happy about it. Yeah? First problems first. We'll get found. Keatman's right. You don't get lost at sea these days. Ship is bound to cross us. Isn't it? Sure. So then we'll all be rich and happy. You still don't feel good about it. I, uh... I remember once when I was a kid. I reached for a pot in a dice game. My winning. It was fair. I got the back of my hand ripped open with a knife. I never got the winnings. I see. Counting your chickens. That's it. Everybody does that. Look at me. I was going to be a ballet dancer. I was a ballet dancer. In my mind, I mean. Pirouettes and all that. Who knew I was going to end up a fan dancer? <laughs> well, that's not so bad. No? Oh, well. What are you going to do with your share of the gold? I mean, if we bring it in. Go back to Australia? Get a ranch? Sheep. Sounds like work. You won't have to work. You'll have enough. I don't mind. Good morning! Morning. Hi. Fine this morning. Where's Walu? Lou Wa is making breakfast. <laughs> this morning I would like fish for breakfast. Have him make fish. <laughs> I feel good. I slept well. I always knew the rich slept well, no matter what they tried to tell you. Yeah. Ah, oh, I see the skeletons are gone, Mike. I tossed them overside last night. Oh, thank you, Mike. Lou Wa found a barrel of nails. We're going to board up some cabin holes after we eat. You'll help? Certainly. I'll see you later, Cora. <laughs> Surly fellow. Well, you look lovely this morning, my dear. A fresh look. The sea air, yeah. You are a beautiful girl. Sure. I'll get better looking to you the longer we're at sea. <laughs> Cora, my dear, I've been doing some calculations in regard to our wealth. If the bars weigh 20 pounds apiece, and since there are 100 of them, we have 20 by 12 by 100 by 35, the value of gold per ounce. In dollars, 840,000. Hmm? Buy a lot of meat and potatoes. Ah, filet mignon, pheasant, pompano, almondine. What's that? Uh, something very delicious. Now... Suppose the bar weighs 25 pounds. One million dollars. A million bucks? If the gold is sold at Macau, where the market is free, say, $50 an ounce, one million five hundred thousand. 
Oh, it keeps getting bigger. Matter of multiplication. Multiplication is a wonderful thing. It makes everything grow. Uh-huh. Division, however, is not so wonderful. What do you mean? Well, take a large satisfactory number and divide, say, by four. What are you left with? A small unsatisfactory number. Do you follow me? No. <laughs> Mull it to yourself, my dear. I, I'm sure it will come to you. Sure, I knew what he was getting at, but I wasn't letting on. Sometimes it pays to play dumb. Well, the day went on as usual, our ship drifting and us not seeing anything but the water and sky. And then that night, laying in my bunk, suddenly began to think of something. I don't know why, but there I was all of a sudden thinking about Keatman. And those ideas of his on multiplication and division. It just jolted me out of my bed. I ran out on deck. Mike came from one way, Keatman from the other, and we met at the railing. Lua! Lua, where are you? No need to shout more. Look. A few feet from us, the railing was all ripped away. We knew right off. Lua was overboard. We could see the fin of a great shark cut the dark water and disappear. should not have leaned against the railing. The wood is rotten. What makes you think he leaned? The ship's tossing then. It, it threw him against the side. Lua was a sailor. It's a calm sea. He could keep his feet in this ocean. I don't understand you, Mike. How else could they have gone overboard? There are ways. I can't imagine. Look, do we have to stand around talking about it? Oh, of course not, my dear. Accidents do happen. There's no point. Kateman, you watch your step. Oh, what could you mean by that, Mike? Just watch your step, that's all. I don't know what happened to Lua, but you just watch your step. As you say, Captain Borman. Come on, Coy. I'll walk you back to your cabin. Mike walked me back. I had my chance to do some talking, to tell him about the conversation I'd had with Keatman, about multiplication and division. I should have told Mike... I know it. But somehow the words just wouldn't come out. I don't know why. Mike left me. I asked him to when I tried to get some sleep. No luck. I kept thinking about poor Lua and also something else. I don't really know why I thought about it, but the fact is I did. Without me doing anything, I just got Richard. Are you asleep? May I come in? Well, I... Just for a few moments, my dear. I want to talk to you. All right. Just a sec. It's real late. Oh, just a little while. The thing is, I do not get to see you enough alone. Oh, Cora... Now, wait a minute. Oh, it's all right. Mike is asleep. He will not hear. Hands off, mister. That's all. Oh, have I made a mistake? I thought you had some feeling for me. Well, it... It's just that... <laughs> you sure rush a girl. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. Why don't you go now, Keatman? Oh, no, Henry. Why don't you go, Henry? 
I, uh, I feel kind of upset tonight. You know what I mean. Lua and everything. Yeah, yeah, all right, my dear. You're not mad? Oh, no, no. There'll be, uh, other times. Oh, yes, of course, other times. Cora. Hmm? When we are safe on land and rich, we will go someplace, you and I. Italy, perhaps, or the south of France. Cora. One million and a half divided by three is a large number. That should mean a lot to you. Yeah, I have to admit. I've been thinking about it. One million and a half divided by two should mean even more. I found Mike at the ship's bow, looking out at the sea. I remember saying to myself, he looked kind of good to me. Funny how a guy can look one way to you at one time, then at another looks so very different. Oh, hello. What do you see? Ah, uh, the usual. Nothing. Oh, it's not so bad. Still got fish and water. It's only the third day. Guys were adrift during the war for weeks. They got saved. Sure. They had it worse than us. Mind if I uh, sit here with you? No, of us not. You seen Keatman? Uh-uh. But low, I guess, counting. Yeah. He sure has gone off on that gold. You know, I've been thinking. About what? Those skeletons we found. You wonder who they are? Who they were? Mm-hmm. They're little. You think they were part of the crew or, uh, come on later like us? Well, it looks to me like the whole crew abandoned ship. No, I'd say those two came on later. That's after the ship came up from the bottom. And they found the gold, huh? Just like us? Uh-huh. I wondered what happened then. Mmm. Sure smells good up here. Hmm. It's about the only place aboard you don't smell the ship's rot. Maybe I should have been a sailor instead of a dancer. A lot of good outdoors. Ranching gets you outside, too. Yeah. Bet Australia's just loaded down with fresh air. What about sheep, huh? What about them? They smell? <laughs> sheep aren't so bad. Maybe I ought to use my share of the gold to buy a ranch next to yours. We could be neighbors and get together to talk about hard times. All this, I mean. Um, Cora. Hmm? Cora, I... I don't know. I can't quite tell whether it's because of the mess we're in or... Well, I, I suppose it might be different on land when we're safe, but... What are you trying to say, Mike? Oh, nothing. You forget it, Cora. Sure. All right. Mike. Huh? Keatman came into my cabin last night. He did? I thought there was going to be trouble. When I let Cora... No, it's all right. The only thing is... Well, I think you better watch yourself. Uh, what do you mean? Well, it, it's what he said to me. He said him and me could split the gold in two. Yeah. I just thought I ought to tell you. Thanks. There's a knife in the galley. I don't want to suggest anything, but 
Nobody's going to blame you if you moved first. I don't know why I said it the way I said it. I didn't mean to say it that way. It just sort of came out. Funny how you do things sometimes. For no real reason, I mean. Well, the third day went by and we just kept drifting and drifting. Nothing to look at but ocean and sky. Then toward late afternoon, we saw something. Just a speck in the sky, but then it came closer and closer. A plane. One of those big four-engine passenger jobs. Hey! Hey, down here! Down here! Hey! Keedman waved his shirt and screamed to beat the band. The plane saw us, dipped its wings, and then took off again. We knew it would send a ship and that we'd soon be saved. That night in the galley, we sat down for what we hoped would be our last meal on the derelict. Fish. Have some delicious fish. Thank you. I don't want any more. Quora? Uh-uh. I don't feel much like eating. <laughs> water, then. Have a big drink of water. No, I don't want any. Watch out. You're spilling it. Oh, who needs it anymore? I told you we'd be found. This is 1953. The ship will come to us tomorrow, I bet. All right. And we'll celebrate tomorrow. You put the water down. We've still got tonight. Tonight? Yeah, tonight. Keepin shut up then, and a few minutes later left the galley. Then Mike went out too. That's when I noticed that the galley knife wasn't there anymore. The sea got kind of choppy that night, and I was sure restless. Wind started acting up, began to rain. Looked like a storm was building. Then I heard the scream. I ran out along the wet deck and stood outside the hold, looking down into the blackness. I couldn't see, but I knew what it was. Mike and Keatman. And only one was going to come up. Only one. got the knife in him before he knew what happened. Mike. Done. We divide by two, my love, by two as it should be. I got to get into my cabin. I'm getting all wet. Oh, no, wait. Cora. Yeah? The ship will come to us today, to us, to you and me. The million and a half is ours. I know, Henry. South of France. Or would you rather Italy... Whatever you want, Henry. Anything? Yeah. Oh, Cora. Cora, my love. Oh, Oh, Cora! Cora! I don't know why I did it. Honest to Pete, I wasn't thinking about it. I just did it all of a sudden. I gave him a shove and he went right over the side. I could see him in water just for a second. His face whiter than ever and his eyes bugging out. And then he was gone. The storm lasted for days. Three, four. I don't remember now. And it tossed the ship I don't know how many which ways. Then the sky cleared up. Sun got all warm again. 
been this way a couple of days now. Well, I haven't seen the rescue ship. Water's gone. Fish, too. And I'm alone. But like I say, I'm rich. I'm still good-looking. Any of you can have me, me and gold. All you gotta do is come out and get me. But please, please come quick. Under the direction of Anthony Ellis, Escape has brought you The Derelict, adapted by Larry Roman from a story by Victor Schwartz and starring Charlotte Lawrence as Cora. Featured in the cast were Joseph Kearns as Keatman, Ben Wright as Mike, and Charlie Long as Lou Waugh. The special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Next week... standing guard deep in the forests of Africa while around you closing in on you are the dreaded Malmo who if you relax your guard will kill you so listen next week when escape brings you John Daner's terrifying story Lily and the Colonel <laughs> This coming Tuesday night, mystery fans will want to stop, listen, and thrill to Mr. and Mrs. North looking for trouble on CBS Radio. And to John Lund as yours truly, Johnny Dollar, probing the San Antonio matter. The Norths collide with homicide and come close to grief themselves. Johnny Dollar comes close to falling in love, closer still to trouble in San Antonio. Remember, they're both this coming Tuesday night on most of these same CBS radio stations. Mr. and Mrs. North, and yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Don't miss them. This is Roy Rowan speaking. And remember, you're invited to Art Linkletter's house party every weekday on the CBS Radio Network. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Screen Guild Theater, followed by Inner Sanctum. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.